You're listening to season three of the Book of Basketball 2.0 podcast. If you missed the first two seasons where we covered a bunch of awesome players, games, and even drafts, you can find them all on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. We're also brought to you by the Ringer Podcast Network, where we just launched a new basketball podcast that's actually an old one. It's The Mismatch with Kevin O'Connor and Chris Vernon. They have their own feed. Subscribe now. First podcast on that feed for them is going up on Thursday night. We also launched Recipe Club with Dave Chang, Gamblers with Dave Hill, and The Ringer Music Show with Charles Holmes. All new ones from the last couple of weeks. Go check that out wherever you get your podcasts. My name is Bill Simmons. This is the Book of Basketball. Oh, like Shaq, Kobe's gonna attack. Larry, she's a three, quads playing that D. LeBron hits him with that steal, and you already feel. Pass it to Luke, yeah, he's gonna juke, yeah, yeah. It's a book of basketball, 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 yeah. The Book of Basketball, Chris Paul. Gambling is such a cliche, but for the Hornets, the third time was a charm. After two failed attempts to trade superstar Chris Paul to L.A., the Hornets finally succeeded. So one of the greatest athletes to ever represent New Orleans is officially a member of the Los Angeles Clippers. Paul requested a trade away from New Orleans two weeks ago. Hornets general manager... In December 2011, the Clippers stole Chris Paul away from the Lakers. Everyone lost their freaking minds. This was like Fredo stealing the Corleones from Michael. The Clippers were cool. Lob City was a thing. When Chris arrived in LA, the Clippers had won four playoff series since moving to Cali in 1978. I bought Clip season tickets in 2004, and for seven years, it felt like owning a haunted house with 18,000 other people. It still does, actually. Well, imagine our surprise when Chris waltzed in like the fearless hero of a straight-to-VOD horror movie. The dude who buys a creepy discounted mansion even after a chandelier nearly pancakes him. Man, remember how fun the 2012 Clippers teams were? Here comes Paul. He's got Blake. We nicknamed them Lob City. And when they won a Game 7 in Memphis, 
even the most scarred Clipper diehards believed in their new point guard. His body language said it all. I'm the best point guard alive. Things are different now. I got this. And as Blake Griffin evolved into a superstar over the next two seasons, we actually thought we found this generation Stockton and Malone. Then Donald Sterling happened. Effective immediately, I am banning Mr. Sterling for life from any association with the Clippers organization or the NBA. The unseemly Sterling scandal undermined a potential finals team in 2014. And in retrospect, that racist slumlord became the Grim Reaper of Lob City. Two epic playoff collapses later, the Clippers unraveled and that was that. Chris jumped to Houston. He endured two crushing defeats to Golden State. One was in 2018 after Chris broke down in Game 5. The other was when KD had broken down in the 2019 Rockets. They still couldn't prevail. That's when Chris became our new captain of a team you never want to be on. The greatest players never to make a finals list. Right now, our starting five is him, Dominique, Gervin, Nash, Seaweb, Maravich, and Bernard coming off the bench. I feel like James Harden has to be included, even though he was in the finals on OKC, but never as a best guy. Anyway, you do not want to be on that list. Through it all, Chris never changed. And maybe that was the problem. Here's Paul. Quick crossover. The jumper. Chris Paul. What a move that was. We knew him as the brilliant tyrant, the frustrated artist, the grading perfectionist, the relentless competitor, always searching for an edge. Nice play for Paul, who threw it off Ibaka, who was out of bounds. For six Clipper seasons, we watched him boss teammates around, snap at coaches, bark at referees, chip opponents on screens, stomp around with his angry Fred Sanford walk. And sure, he wasn't leading any differently than Oscar Robertson did. By all accounts, Oscar, he could be a withering prick too. But Chris did it during the new school player empowerment era. When coaches only last three years. When healthy young stars hop franchises on a whim. When every asset needs to be coddled like a child actor. Was that why the Clippers squandered two juicy title windows despite having two top 10 guys? Wasn't it the point god's job to drive that expensive Clippers car like Dom Toretto instead of Tony La Russa? Eh, too soon, maybe. An even better question. If you flipped Chris Paul and Isaiah Thomas on those Clipper contenders, what happens? Sure, the advanced metrics, they would say Paul became Isaiah 2.0, a superior, more efficient, more durable version. Well, guess what? I still believe Isaiah was the best pure point guard I ever saw. You can't compare their numbers because Isaiah didn't have the same training dieting advantages. For instance, Chris rejuvenated his career two summers ago. How? By shifting to a plant-based diet. In Isaiah's era, the only plants involved were the ones they were smoking. So yeah, CP3's era had about 297 rule changes that favored quality point guards. His generation valued three-point shooting in ways that would have seemed inconceivable 30 years ago. Here's an example. In 1983, Isaiah finished second in the NBA, in three-point shooting percentage. Guess what he shot? 29%. Yeah. Isaiah Zara, that featured bigger lineups, packed paint, vicious fouls, crazy clotheslines, flying elbows, every other danger from that bad boy Pistons era. And again, threes were a luxury. They were like a tiny piece of chocolate at the tail end of a fancy dinner. In a related story, Isaiah retired at age 31. Chris made second-team All-NBA for OKC last season at age 35. Again, the eras. But Isaiah's ceiling was higher. Occasionally, he'd just go off like Curry or Kyrie on their hottest nights. 
What Isaiah accomplished in game six of the 88 finals ranks among the most scintillating playoff performances ever. The night he nearly won a title limping around on one leg. And Isaiah Thomas having an incredible period. He has 35 in the game. And like Magic and Bird, his rivals, Isaiah understood the precarious balance between performance and art. It wasn't just about winning or putting up numbers. It was about how you resonated. It was about extracting the best performances from every teammate, challenging their manhood, making them believe in themselves and you too. Nobody had built an NBA champion around a small guard until those Pistons teams did it for two years in a row. And they did it because Thomas grasped every nuance of that position, everything, and performed accordingly. So maybe that's the missing piece of Chris Paul's resume. He had just about everything else. I mean, seriously, I believe Chris's signature move which was moving left to right, veering to the right of the foul line, hinting that he's driving, then uncorking that 15-foot fall away. Ball with the jumper. Knocks it down over Bryant. That might be the dagger. I think that was the most unstoppable two-point shot in point guard history except for Magic's junior skyhook. That's it. It's certainly deadlier than anything Isaiah had. And if you ding Chris for never sniffing an NBA Finals, here's the thing. The nerd police come screaming. They got advanced metrics. They got statistical pitchforks. Because remember, numbers matter more than winning now. Westbrook hogged the ball to alarming degrees, made every teammate the same or worse, lost in round one in five games, and he won our 2017 MVP. Here at the end of 2020, Trey Young and Carl Anthony Towns, they're considered superstars. That's where we are. And hey, I don't love rings culture either, but there's got to be a middle ground, right? If Chris Paul is really our point god, Explain his monumental collapse in Game 5 of the OKC series in 2014. Those fateful final 20 seconds. Clippers up by two. Westbrook strips Paul for an indefensible turnover. Paul fouls Westbrook shooting a three. And then Paul dribbles the final possession off his foot. Has a greater player ever submitted a worse 20 seconds? Probably not. And how did the Clippers blow game six of the 2015 Rocket Series to Josh Smith and Corey Brewer with James Harden sulking on the bench? That wasn't just one of the worst playoff losses ever. It's the single biggest choke job I have ever witnessed in person. And I'm a Red Sox fan. One of the most stunning comebacks in the history of the NBA. It's impossible to shake the stink of those two postseasons off Chris Paul. You just can't. So yeah, could he retire tomorrow as one of the eight best point guards ever? Sure. I have it. Magic, Oscar, Kuzi, Isaiah, Curry, Stockton, Nash, and Paul in that order right now. But that's the thing. He has to be eighth on that list. And it's because Chris never had that one kick-ass contender, that one transcendent moment, that one spring when we said to ourselves, eh, Maybe you can win the title with a little guy as your alpha dog. To be fair, it never happened for Kuzi until he found Russell. Never happened for Oscar until he found Kareem. But again, Isaiah never needed a second superstar. And neither did Curry in 2015. Stockton and Kidd, they both made consecutive NBA finals. Nash, he made four conference finals in eight years, came damn close a bunch of times, spearheaded those critically acclaimed Suns teams. As for Chris... He only reached one 
conference finals, and he couldn't even last the whole series. It's not great. Against the 2015 Spurs in Game 7, that was the one time we stared into his basketball soul, and Chris actually delivered. Chris Paul has been terrific. 27 points, plus the series-winning shot, and he was playing hurt, too. A semi-impossible, off-balance banker that doubles as the single greatest Clippers moment ever. Well, it's also the greatest moment of Chris Paul's career, and it happened in round one. That's the biggest reason why I have Chris Paul ranked in level three of the pyramid at number 42, just ahead of Patrick Ewing, just behind George Gervin, Sam Jones, and James Harden. 15 spots behind Isaiah Thomas. The truth is, we haven't found our point guard yet. Maybe someday. I just hope it's not LaMelo Ball. Your thoughts, Ryan Rosillo? I prepped for this for a while because I already know anybody that's listened to me over the years, you know how I feel about Chris Paul. It was, um, it was both a lot of fun where I had moments where I went, yeah, that's right. Look at that number. I'm right about this. And then, as you mentioned, the turnover and then the other turnover, turnover in, in game five against OKC where you're like, what? What happened? So it was, it was both depressing. I guess I'd start with this statement theory and that would be um i believe there exists a player that is special that plays a winning style of basketball plays it the right way and then chris is the guy that doesn't win he's a winning player that doesn't win and just like i've argued that i think there are coaches that are probably brilliant coaches the right demeanor understand x's and o's are ahead of everybody else they just never got the opportunity to show that they were a great coach and were never allowed to say that that coach a great, is a great coach because of the resume. And Chris Paul is that example of a player. That's what he is. He's, he's, he's the rare guy that I believe in and trust and yet has no kind of resume that I can argue against other greats. Yeah, and where it goes wrong, we're the same way. We both loved them. I think when there was a whole five or six year Darren Williams or Chris Paul argument, I was like just firmly in the Chris Paul camp. We'll go into that later. But at the same time, the biggest argument for him was that nobody steers the car better than him. This is the guy. When things go tough, when things go wrong, that's when you want your awesome point guard who can calm everybody down, who can get the, the biggest shot, whether it's him or he gives it to somebody else, whatever it is, he's the best driver. And unfortunately, those 14 and 15 teams were really his is secretly his best chance to win the title. I think people point to the 2018 Rockets. I actually think when you look at the 2014 and 15 seasons and you look at that really good Spurs team that was coming off, uh, you know, a devastating 2013 loss that was waiting for them in round three, they never got there. And then in 2015, which was just a super wonky season, the Warriors ended up winning the title. Felt like it was almost a year early for them. And one of those two years having two of the best eight guys in the league and not being able to get, get over the hump and not even be able to get to round three, it's hard not to hold that against them. And I, I'm not, you know, in some cases, I think you can hold playoff success against people. Um, in his case, it's a tough one because, you know, should the 2018 Rockets have beaten the Warriors? Do you really believe they were better? Probably not, but they almost did. And if he didn't get hurt, I think they could have beaten them, but the problem is they were playing him big minutes and that was always the red flag with him. I remember we talked about it two years ago 
he wasn't kind of built to go 40 minutes a game. So I guess that leads me to my next question. When you're, when you're built around these little guys and you got to really push that car to seven RPMs and you got to go on the car, now you're going hundred miles an hour, you're banging against the divider. So there's a certain type of physicality you might need to go four rounds and to take that kind of punishment. I've had people in the league tell me, you know, there's a reason it's really hard to win four straight rounds with a guard as your best guy, because it's so demanding. It's so physical. This is why like LeBron is still going and at warp speed in round four. And you have like the Nash Curry, even somebody like Jason Kidd, who is a big dude, when you're riding that for two and a half straight months, they're going to wear down a little bit. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I definitely have heard, and, and I, know, I know you have as well, there are a lot of anti-Chris Paul people, both in the media fans, but also in front offices. And it'll be the same thing, that he wears on you, he dribbles the air out of the ball, and even though he's somebody I trust as being in control of the pace of the game, like when Chris Paul's in a game, it's kind of Chris Paul's game. And that's not really the case in Houston because it was more of a style with James Harden. But we saw it again with OKC, and we certainly saw it all those years with the Clippers where it was he was dictating what was going to happen in that game. But because then the results aren't what you'd expect for somebody as good as Chris Paul, then it becomes a negative. So all the things yeah. we like about him, then when he doesn't win, when if you go through the entire playoff resume, not to make a comp here to Melo, but of all the knocks that Melo takes, and if you go through every single time he lost the playoffs, like how often did Melo lose the team that was way worse than the team that he was on? He almost always lost to a team that was better than them. And there's something to be said. I mean, even when Chris Paul and they blow that 3-1 lead to Houston, which still feels worse because I think it hangs on Chris Paul more where they blow this lead in game five. It looks like it's over. All the things that you don't like about Houston are showing up in that series, and somehow they come back with role players, and that's on Paul's resume. But well, even also, that remember, year, remember Harden checked out. He that's was what like, I mean. He on was the on bench the bench with a towel on his head, yeah. and he was done. And, I mean, whatever the anti-Harden stuff is now, it was way worse back then because you're like, look at this. This team came back once their leader was, was on the sideline just sulking, and yet Paul's numbers through games five, six, and seven – are incredible <laughs> and they were still a three seed and Houston was a two seed. Um, same thing with Oklahoma city in that, that series. I, I can't defend that. I can't, I hated it. I remember being at home watching that game going, ah, this is one of those moments where the real basketball guys are going to go with 17 seconds left. He tried to bring the ball up. He thought he was going to be fouled. Westbrook stripped it from him. And then he had a chance. The play call was for him. They got a switch. He drove and he just sort of lost the ball. You can see he got fouled, but it's not enough. I, it's not enough of a foul for him there. So once this starts to happen, you can't really shake this. Like, I have all sorts of numbers. I have all sorts of defenses for him, but it's just the rules are it's very hard to shake that historically if this ends up being what his playoff resume is because now it's just going to be he's he's an addition to something else if he ever has any kind of playoff run. And Dudley, when he was on with us on the BS podcast, and he was saying how when they blew it in 2014, he thought that killed the Clippers. He was like... I knew we were done going forward. I knew there was no way we were coming back from that. I was surprised to hear him say that because I thought that 2015 team was just as good. And if anything, I thought Blake went up a, a level in 2015, that Spurs series when, uh, you know, when they beat the Spurs in round one, people left that series thinking it was maybe the greatest round one anyone had ever played. The Spurs were the defending champs. The Spurs took every haymaker and gave it back and they got through that series in a lot of ways, it seemed like they ran out of gas. I don't know if, you know, Blake and Chris, too many minutes or they couldn't handle kind of the level everybody had to play at game after game, but you could literally see them wear down in that Rockets game. And that that game six, that is still the weirdest basketball game I've ever been to. And I've been to a lot of weird ones. But 
where they're up like 15 and you can see it's there. It's going badly. Like I, I've never seen, I remember at one point they were like up eight and I thought they were going to lose. And people in my section were all turning to each other. You could feel that Clippers DNA start to rise up and suffocate the team. So when I think about Chris historically, and you talk about is Isaiah a better point guard than Chris is like, all I know is Isaiah had just as bad of a basketball tragedy in 87 when he, the steal by bird, which was just as bad as those two Chris years, but he came back and he came back in 88. They must won. Then they won two titles and Christian, it just never happened for Chris. So it's really hard for me to say that's the best point guard of all time. Just is. Yeah, I can't do it. I, I don't, I, I didn't even go into this thinking, Hey, I'm going to make that kind of argument. Cause I think the bad part of this for Chris is as great as we think he is there's just other guys you're going to put in front of him. And I know that when we start to talk era too early, too late for one of those categories, it's a, it's a really fascinating thing with him because of how much the position changed. But before we get too far away from the, the playoff game log, which I spent a lot of time with, if you're bringing up Blake, you have to bring up the truth about Blake too and why there's so many shortcomings in this. Like you can't keep going to the playoffs and then never having anybody ready. And that was the problem, whether it was Chris at times and it was Blake even more so. You go back to that Memphis series in 2012, game seven, they win it. And that was a big deal because they had lost games five. They lost game six. They were up 3-1. And you're like, what's going on? And Blake had moments, as much as we like him, he had moments where he didn't seem super comfortable in some of these tighter spots. He had eight points in that game in game seven. Oof. And then you go to the next year where... um Blake they got hurt, Memphis. right? Blake gets hurt. Blake plays as much as he could, but I mean, he was 13 points per game in that series, 26 minutes per game, and that's when they were up 2-0. Blake gets hurt. They lose four straight. So yeah. now all of a sudden, Chris is essentially playing by himself. Matt Barnes at times was the second leading scorer in games. Jamal Crawford had high, higher usage rates than Chris Paul did in some of these. Um <laughs> Then when you look at the Golden State series, they beat them in seven. That's when Bogo was hurt in game seven. They have the OKC disaster. Even against Houston, when they blew that lead, Paul himself didn't play in those first two games. But then you start to have the Portland series where Paul gets hurt. Um, there's another yeah. series where Blake ends up missing. They win the first two games, then Blake misses four games. In 2017, Blake misses four games in another series. So it just it keeps happening where you go, how could they have never broken through to get to a Western Conference Finals with that Clippers team? How could they have never had a chance they were hurt 90% of the time. One of the two guys was hurt and it was actually Blake more than Paul. Right. And if you, if like you're talking to Chris about this and he has three glasses of wine in him and he'll just be like, man, I had bad luck. And here's what happened every year. The only one you can't defend is 2014 against OKC. I'm not I trying think, to. No, yeah. no, I'm not saying you, I'm, I'm saying if we're going through you it, can't. that's the one where it's like, man, you guys had that game. You would have gone up three, two and you would have won the series and you would have been a really good matchup against San Antonio the team you beat the next year in seven. So that's the one that I just can't Houston. So actually throw Houston in it. You can't defend no. either of those, the, the, the but I feel like be... they're related. Once the first one happens, it, it paves the way for the second one. You, you, you veer into like pre 2004 Red Sox kind of stuff where the baggage, cause you could feel it in the stands. I almost feel like they would have been better off playing game six in Houston. Cause as soon as anything went wrong in that Clipper game, I've never seen a, a crowd get more terrified than that. Who, just for the record, who, who is the best point guard you've ever seen? Because I, I mean, the, the right answer is magic. It's just, you don't think of him as a little guy. So it's almost like who is the best traditional pure point guard you've ever seen? 
I've been thinking about this a lot because I've always argued that I think Magic is almost underrated historically. Like, however we do the top guys, wherever, wherever the top guys are, I think we always take too long to get to Magic. So it's Magic. It's Magic 1. Isaiah, I'm with you. He is historically underrated, and he's underrated because in modern times, it's just harder to be like, hey, by the way, this guy that wasn't a very good GM and says some odd things and tries to dismiss all this Jordan stuff where it recently, you see that where he, he was like, right. I didn't know how Jordan felt about me until the last dance. Are you kidding? You can pick up any of those clues in the 80s and 90s, and that seems to hurt the legacy of Isaiah, but Isaiah, the player, I'm with you. I That guy was un believable in a league that was so much bigger then and tougher than it is now. It feels like Paul is in the Nash kid conversation, but kid couldn't shoot until later and Nash didn't shoot as much as Paul did. So Paul, I probably like better than those other two guys because I still feel like if he had to get a bucket all by himself, he's certainly over kid and probably a little tougher matchup than Nash is. Actually, it isn't a little tougher. He was a tougher matchup than Nash was, but I do think that that's the the neighborhood that they all live in. Yeah, it's a good argument. Kid takes that Nets team to two straight finals, which is better than anything Chris did as a basketball player. Really weak East, though, right? Yeah, does Chris do it in the East? Right. Yeah, we were there in Boston watching that Tony Batiste, Tony Delk, all those dudes on the O2 Celtics thinking like, is this team going to make the finals? I know. So it was <laughs> this, like, even when they is lost, this gonna be a like, thing? yeah, I couldn't believe it either. Uh, you know, and then Nash, I actually think the case for Nash over Chris would be Nash had a bunch of teams that overachieved because like in 05, Joe Johnson gets hurt and they still really put up a good fight right to the end. 06, they don't have Amari. 07, you know, you'll talk about the horror shove. We'll talk about that play forever and whether the right team won. And then I really like that 08 team. And then 2010, they come within two wins of the finals. And, you know, they were really, that 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 series against the Lakers was a lot tighter than people remember. So I feel like he overachieved four times. And I'm not sure where the overachieved with Chris was, except for 08, which ironically is the part of Chris's career that just is completely forgotten now. But uh, we're going to go into it when we do five things that stage the best, but his start to finish 07, 08 season is in the running for best point guard season, not by anybody by Magic Johnson. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car, Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. I want to go to the resume really quick. So he's played 15 years so far, 14 quality, 10 all-stars, MVP runner-up in 08, rookie of the year in 06, all-NBA, first team three times, second team four times, third team one time, seven times first team all-defense, six steals titles, four, four assist titles, First career, 19 and 9, 47, 37, 87 splits. So he's kind of hugging the 50, 40, 90, but not totally. 24.5 PR, which is ninth overall. His two year peak was 20, 21, 5, and 11. 
49% uh, field goal and 4.1 assist turnover ratio. Playoffs, 21 and 8. Basically, everything's around the same. And then in the uh, 08 playoffs, which I mentioned, 24-5-11, 50% field goal in 12 games. So here are the five things you need to know about Chris Paul. First one, him not becoming a Laker was the single biggest what if of the 2010s. And I made this case in the great one basketball hour, I think in 2014. And since then five other things happened. So here are all the things. If he just becomes a Laker, here are all the things that, that happen and don't happen. Lob city never happens. Houston never gets James Harden. Harden's days in OKC at least through 2012, 13, because there's no other suitor that had to right trade. Dwight never goes to Houston in 2013. So he either stays with the Lakers or goes to Dallas. Phil Jackson probably stays with the Lakers and coaches them over going to destroy the Knicks. The Lakers never trade for Nash. Destroy they don't the Knicks for- or, or have the job while they continue to be destroyed. Fair, fair. Uh, uh, the Lakers never trade for Nash and they don't lose their two first round picks they lost. Toronto gets Nash because he was the backup plan for Nash, which means they don't get Kyle Lowry. So I don't know how the whole decade plays out for them with no Kyle Lowry. Lowry doesn't uh, make the Hall of Fame. Larry's not a Hall of Famer. <laughs> 2012 New Orleans, because they got a much better trade. They were getting like Dragic back and um, who else? Scola, Kevin Martin. They're, one other part was Lamar Odom in that trade? You Can't lost remember. me. They, you lost me with Scola. <laughs> uh, well, they would have been better. They wouldn't have got the number one pick, which is Anthony yes. Davis. So Charlotte Washington gets him. Doc Rivers probably stays in Boston because he's not looking at that sexy Clippers job, which means no Brad Stevens, which might mean no Brooklyn trade. And then I'm not sure Kobe breaks down in 2013 if if he has Chris those two years, that he's not playing 48-minute games, all that stuff. I'm not sure David Stern retires because the, how he botched the Chris Paul thing really paved the way for them to be like, hey, man, we're taking the car keys. Let's start really wrapping this up. And then I'm not sure KD jumps to the Warriors either. Did I leave anything out? I remember you doing it on Grantland. We even had animation for it, and it was, yeah. it was really well done. Like, I've always thought that was a lot of fun, all the what-ifs, but it was massive. Do you think you're overstating the stern part of it, though? I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just I'm asking for you to further dig into that. That's a big statement. I think that was the nail in the, in the, uh, in the commissioner job coffin. I think that when that, the whole way that New Orleans thing was handled and how arrogant he was about it, and wait, this is weird. The league's running the team. The I mean, league they did. has final they say were on the trades. stewards of the team. Right. So that was his out. But it did feel like there was a lot of owners that were just like, oh, and they're going to get Dwight now too. This is ridiculous. That seemed to be the thing that people got really upset about, that it wasn't the Stern younger, deciding. Yeah, younger owners. And I think some of the small market owners, I remember Gilbert went nuts after that trade. But in general, I feel like that's when they were kind of like, we need Adam and it's time. So anyway, that was one thing you need to know. And him as a Laker, so you have that 11-12 team. It would have been him and Kobe. Dwight Howard's not there yet. Um, Bynum's there. That was the last good Bynum year. Not sure a lot happens with that team in terms of like advancing a lot of rounds. And I got to say, like Chris and Kobe playing together would have been really weird. Two guys that kind of need the ball. And I, I think it would have been a little similar to what he went through with those two Harden seasons. He didn't really love playing off the ball. He wanted to either have the ball or be more involved, not watch somebody go ISO. So I don't know what happens with that. Um, second thing you need to know, and this is this is in the plus for 
the Chris Paul case, the 2012 Olympics. And that game, the gold medal game was a little better and a little hairier and a little closer than people uh, remember. And I, I was there and there was like this two minute stretch when like LeBron couldn't get back in the game and there was no whistle and it, it was nerve wracking. LeBron kind of came through. He had a dunk in a three. And then uh, the icing on the cake was Chris Paul. It was the best moment of the tournament. He takes 23 seconds and then beats Gasol off the dribble. Gorgeous reverse layup. Yells at the bench after. Everyone goes nuts. And this is what I wrote at the time because I, I watched it with my buddy Hershey. And we were breaking it down after. And, we, and this is what I wrote. We kept gravitating toward that final Chris play. It was just a clinic on how a point guard should close out a game. Quote, how many point guards in the history of basketball would have made you feel as comfortable as Chris made you feel in that fourth quarter? Hershey asked. Magic, Isaiah, anyone else? And my answer was nobody else. That has to go on Chris's resume. This is what I wrote in 2012. That's what made it so interesting when he melted down in 14 and 15. Because I left that Olympics thinking, this is the guy. If, if I'm ever in any situation like this, there's no better option. And then he kind of lost the luster on it, right? The Houston thing's a collective. The end of the Thunder moment, I mean, it was just ridiculous. But I still think, like you always point out, I mean, Steph has his game seven in the 3-1 lead where that's way below our standard of Steph. And yeah. even though everybody gives Kevin Love all this credit for locking him up on the perimeter, Steph admitted, I was just trying to go for the three. So I still think Steph could have dribbled around Kevin Love, but he made a decision. He also tried the around-the-back pass in the right corner. That was a horrible decision, but Steph has that in him every now and then where he tries a pass, and in that moment, it was a horrible idea. So you mentioned Tragic Johnson in those, those playoffs mm. in the very early part of the 80s. I mean, here we are talking about comparing him to Isaiah and those awful moments at the end of the Thunder series. That inbound pass to let Bird steal that is, is a ridiculous decision to not have yeah. the vision to just say, hey, look, somebody's sprinting towards the inbound he already knows what you're going to do um you know russ and kd blowing their 3-1 lead to golden state in 16 it feels like anybody that's around long enough if anyone's around long enough you're gonna have a moment where you go i can't believe what you did i think there was even a huge i know it's it's not to the same level but sam cassell had like a 10 second violation in a huge spot in a playoff game at mm. one point where you're going Sam Cassell, the vet, the steely. And again, Sam Cassell's not in this pyramid of, of players here. But this sounds like defending Chris, but I just think that when you're around long enough, you're going to have a couple moments that if people want to argue against you, you're going to give them evidence. Even MJ, 1995, which we all decided that uh, we Doesn't weren't going to count that year for some <laughs> reason, but he had some bad ones in that Orlando series. Third thing you need to go know about Chris he had an unbelievable season with OKC last year that cemented his claim as the greatest old point guard ever. So it, it, to this point, only five guys had averaged 18 and nine in their 12th season or later. Chris Paul, Magic Johnson, Lenny Wilkins, Gary Payton, Jerry West, and, uh, and plus Steve Nash. So every all-time point guard faded dramatically after year 12. Basically, Nash was the first one that just kind of kept going and going. Only five guards averaged 15 and six in their 14th season, which was for Chris would have been his second rocket season. Those guys, Steve Nash, Chris Paul, Kyle Lowry, that was last year, Lenny Wilkins, Jerry West. Those are the only five guards in their 14th season, 15 and six, which doesn't seem like a lot. And then Chris was the only guy to do it in his 15th season. So his 15th season 
was the greatest season in the history of the point guard position. And it, you know, as we're taping this right now, people are talking about trading them and should Phoenix get him? Should Phoenix throw in a draft pick? They're kind of glossing over how old Chris Paul is and how unique the situation is where it's like, this guy's going to be 36. Nobody's done it. Played more than 30 minutes a game and, and been at an all-star level ever in this position. Does that worry you? No, because I actually think it's a classic year-to-year deal. We, you and I have texted about this. Like Blake Griffin has gone from, wow, that's a bad contract and he's not healthy to, why wouldn't you take a shot on Blake Griffin right now if you were trying mm. to add to a team? And Victor Oladipo is 28 and people are acting like he's he's totally done. Right. And I'm like, you know what? He was all NBA caliber at the beginning of last season. I mean, he was the interesting, hey, don't forget about this guy if we're listing every potential MVP, even though we know he wasn't going to win the MVP. So Paul went from, I've got to give you picks to trade for Westbrook's contract (laughs) to get, I have to give, because I want Westbrook and you're taking Paul, I have to give you a ton of first round picks and Chris Paul to now 10 teams or more want Chris Paul. So yes, I get that. It's almost like we've forgotten his age and an age where he's, he seems to break down. I mean, look, the playoff resume speaks for itself. We talked about the times where he wasn't the same. Um, that Golden State series, you know, who knows? Maybe we're doing this an entirely different way. If he doesn't have the hamstring problem, they beat Golden State, they beat the Cavs in 2008, and we're just allowed to, because of the title and rings rules, get to talk about him in a different way. But the way we shift year to year on a player's value is probably too extreme, and Chris is a great example of that in just 14 months. Because right. what he was last summer to the demand for him now are two completely different things. Well, and if you're Houston, the reason you make that trade is you feel like he's getting old. He broke down in 2018, 2019, only played 58 games. He missed 24 games each, each of his Houston years. You don't know the plant-based diet is coming. And he's been pretty open about this changed my life. This extended my career. I'm faster than I was five years ago. I got to say when I went to the Clipper games, especially early in this season, I always felt like he was heavy. I always felt like he was playing himself into shape. I never went to Clipper games and thought, wow, Chris looks like he's in amazing shape. That's just who he was. He had a certain type of body and he would play himself into it. I think the way he looked in OKC last year made me wonder if he could play until 38, 39. I mean, we're seeing with quarterbacks, what LeBron's doing, maybe we just have to throw out what's possible and maybe he can keep it going. Uh, The next thing you need to know about our guy, Chris Paul, you mentioned the playoff stuff, just, just so people know. Um, they were up three, two against the 2008 Spurs lost the last two. They blew a game six in Memphis. Then had to come back. They actually won a game seven in Memphis, 2013 up two Oh, they lose the next four 2014 two, two tie about to take a three, two lead. They lose to OKC in six 2015 up three, two lose to Houston in seven. He got hurt in 2016 against Portland, 2017. They lost a game seven at home against Utah, 2018. The Rockets blow a 3-2 lead. Not his fault because he got hurt. 2019 loses game five and six to Golden State with no KD. That series was tied two to two. And then last year, game seven against the Rockets, they lost. So when you just lay it all out and you look at it and you're looking for like the wins, um, they won the game seven against the Warriors and the Spurs in back-to-back years. They won a game seven in Memphis and we're done. Right, but the Utah one sounds bad. Blake missed four games in that series. Yep. Um, 
They're still yeah. at home against Gordon Hayward and rookie Don. Was Donovan Mitchell wasn't even there that? Yeah, yet. but back then, like DeAndre Jordan would score zero points in some of these playoff games. Okay, fair. So DeAndre turned into somehow the guy that everybody wanted to be his best center. And I'd have to double check. Like I know there was a couple zeros that I was looking at there in the playoffs. But the San Antonio game was was big for me as a Chris Paul guy. Yeah, it's May second. It's 2015. Do you remember what else was going on that night? Mayweather Pacquiao and yep. I had two in my daughter's 10th birthday and I had two weeks left at ESPN. It was a great day. Went to Catalina, did a little zip lining. <laughs> did you already know? Was it your two week notice or would you, were you, although I, that seemed to be a bit surprising though, still. Really I had, had an inkling. <laughs> you had sources close to the situation. Sources so close. I was doing NBA raps and it was, you know, I had put all my chips in to the center of the table for Chris Paul that week on the radio show. And remember, that was a really good, you can't just go, oh, well, that was a three-seed Clippers team beating this, the Spurs. Remember, the Spurs lost that dumb game at the end of the year. I think it was to New Orleans where it changed around the seeding dramatically. And then all of a sudden, you're like, this Spurs team, 50-something yeah. wins is a six-seed? So that was and a really still- a really good Spurs team because Kawhi had gone up a notch. There was defending champs. The core guys were a little bit older, but Kawhi had gone up a notch. So it felt like it would, it had all evened out in a lot of ways. Absolutely. And they just went toe to toe. They were 55 and 27. So yeah, that's right. The Clippers were 56 win team. The Spurs were a 55 win team. I'm watching Pacquiao Floyd. We have that game up there. We're with the guys. There were some people from the cleaning service holding up their phone, FaceTiming the fight to their buddies. <laughs> which I just loved that they were finding a way to get the content out there. And when he hit that game, he got Danny green and then he hits this impossible shot over him and Duncan. I was just so happy, but I actually think it's almost oddly like this is an anti Chris Paul thing. It's oddly fitting that maybe his best moment in a playoff game is to win a game seven in the first round. Right. Well, I had a chance to go to Mayweather Pacquiao and I really wanted to go to the game seven. I love this series. I love game sevens. They're my single favorite sporting event. I will always choose a good game seven in the NBA over any other sporting event and went to that and just, you know, basically uh, blew the fight off. I had this as the fifth, what you need to know, because that game winner, greatest shot of his life. One of the great game winners ever. Greatest shot in Clippers history by far. Like, I don't even know who the other candidates are. It's that shot. And I don't know where you go next. It's in it's in the Clippers in the Staples Center. So the fans lose their mind. They don't even really know what happiness is until that moment. Um, that series, you mentioned how amazing it was. They played 341 minutes total in the series. And the uh, the Clippers took the lead for good at 340-59. So they, they were up by a point for the series. Spurs knew what play was coming. Everyone knows Chris goes right. He's playing on one leg because he's hurt. Two guys jump on him. And he makes this crazy follow. And if you watch it, the crazy part about that play is Blake comes in for the follow and Ginobili goes to box him out. But Blake's jumping so high, he kind of undercuts him. It wasn't intentional. He and does. Blake, like, Blake almost gets paralyzed on that play. And Absolutely. watching it live, you're watching the shot go in, but you're also watching Blake about to break his neck. It was one of the weirdest experiences I've had. Uh, anyway, an amazing game. And then, you know, the Spurs at that point, I remember writing about this. They were like the professional wrestler that you kind of had to get over to become the champs. You know, they were like when, uh, kind of what the undertaker was like, where it was like, if you fought the undertaker in WrestleMania, you, it, it, you'd kind of arrived yeah. and the Spurs had become, yeah, the Spurs had become 
that team that if when you went through the Spurs, now you were legit. And I think LeBron eventually became that guy, you know, over the course of the decade. But the Spurs were like that, I don't know, for 10 years. They were like that for the Suns. They were like that for the Mavericks. When the Mavericks beat them in 06, it was like, wow, we're for real. We beat the Spurs. So when the Clips did that, it did feel like they had shed the year before, but then the baggage all came out again. And that was that. Too bad. I love that um, shot. But as you said, he was hurt supposedly in that. Well, I'm not saying he wasn't hurt. No, he was, was watching, definitely hurt. When I was watching the OKC series in that blown game six, there was also a moment in that because he had hit a couple huge shots late, which don't count as clutch shots, especially when they're with a minute or so to go or two minutes to go. And then you lose the game. Like those are never allowed to be clutch shots, even though I would argue against it. But look, none of us are going to remember. There's people listening right now and everything. We're like, no, 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 there's a guy that hit a shot. Like, this doesn't matter. We don't, we don't remember that stuff. Less yeah. than a minute to go. It's, it's irrelevant, unfortunately. But he was, there was even a mention as I was watching some of the broadcasts of how he had been dinged up earlier and they were worried about it. So back to one of the first things you said about this, whether it were front office people, the problem with smaller guards in the playoffs even though the rules were set up with a guy when he was as quick as he was and his handle and his tightness and his decision-making and the way he saw the game, and he was tough as hell. There's just too many times where you're like, which version of him are we getting? And maybe he should have been one of the original load management guys because if he were fresh to close out some of these series, maybe the stories are different. Well, and you look at Isaiah Thomas, and it's just completely logical that he's basically pretty much done by the 91 92 season. I mean, he re he definitely could have hung out in a couple of years, but it's during Achilles the pandemic, though, right? He had hurt, he'd blown out his Achilles, but just in general, he was starting to lose the, the kind of quickness that made him so special. Right. And if you go back and you watch the 91 92, that was his last playoff series against the Knicks, which I watched some of that during the pandemic. I'd kind of forgotten about it. It's an amazing series. It's just like, it, it's, it's like a street fight for five games. And Isaiah is like just not good in the in the playoffs, and it looks like he's on his last legs. But it makes sense because eighty seven he plays fifteen playoff games, eighty eight he plays twenty three, nine hundred eleven minutes in eighty eight, uh, eighty nine he plays seventeen, and ninety he plays twenty. So he's put he's seventy five playoff games in four years, and the and those playoff miles in that era were like they were worth like two games. So you're like, wow, why did his career end so early? It's like, well, because, you know, by the way, he, he, his last playoff year, he was 30. Think about that. He's five years younger than uh, LeBron James. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership, visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. What's age the best? So we mentioned some of this stuff. I His 08 season, I thought you could make a real case he was the MVP that year. Um, I think if I had to do it over again, I voted for KG when I wrote my column. I think if I had to do it over again, I would give it to Chris. 21 and 12, um, almost 50, 40, 90 stuff. Led the league in steals, 28.3 PR. He won 56 games in the West with Tyson Chandler, a semi-washed up Paige Stojakovic, Gennaro Pargo, uh, Mo Peterson and his coach and David West 
who was at his one good teammate and then uh coach Byron Scott and they go in around one Dallas who's coming off Dirk's MVP year. They kill Dallas. They destroy him. Chris has 25, 12 and six. And then against San Antonio around two to the defending champs, they have a three, two lead and San Antonio wins the last two. Ginobili uh, kind of takes over the series, little Duncan, obviously, and they lose in seven, but just start to finish his best season. It's his third season in the league. Yep. He's first team all NBA. And it is funny that you bring up, well, maybe KG MVP. Like, look, it's just, it's hard when it's the story. You, you always have to look at the story that was going on. It's kind of the Westbrook stuff that I think I want to bring up a little bit later in the pod. But Westbrook wins an MVP because the story was better. He stayed, Durant left, and he's carrying this yeah. team. And look at all the numbers. And we didn't care about wins and losses that year as much. And then you can look back on it and kind of regret it. What I love about Chris's story, at least when it comes to that year, the jump from year two to year three, where it's as quick as I can remember someone being the best at their position. He's third year in the league. And at that point, he's the best point guard in the league. And I remember saying it, and it was, you know, whether it was an NBA broadcaster, I'd be like, you know what? You know, just back with all the different people you'd work with, you go, you know, I think Chris Paul right now is the best point guard in the league. And you're like, wait, are we allowed to say this this soon? Yeah. Rare is the player that is the best in the league at his position in his third season. And it was, it was the case for Paul. Well, especially that position. That's one where you, you're earning it. You're just kind of waiting. It's almost like earning your superhero suit in the Marvel movie. You got to put out some movies first. And that one, it's like, wow, he's already the best. I'm, I totally agree. I wrote this about Chris, and this gets a what's age the best for me, just when I remember him as a player, because we've been a little hard on with the playoff stuff, but I, he, there was some amazing things about seeing him in person especially having season tickets and before it got a little dark there with the clips where everybody's just yelling at the refs every game and they all obviously didn't like each other on yeah. the court. And it just kind of became like going to eventually going to their games was like going to dinner with a couple that's fighting the whole dinner and is about to break up. Like that's honestly how you felt at those Clipper games. It's like watching um, that divorce movie <laughs> a second <laughs> time. <laughs> yeah, the Scarlett Johansson. Right. Uh, but Chris had this one specific thing, and this is just what I wrote about it. And this is what I'll remember about seeing him. Um, I attended enough Clipper games this season to know when he gets the look. It's not rocket science. The look usually happens in close games, only because Chris has more self-confidence than anyone except Kobe, but it might surface other times. Like if a clumsy center elbows him in the head or someone sets a violent pick that Chris didn't appreciate. When Chris gets the look, it's all over. Someone has to pay. He starts doing his old man walk, sticks his ass out, stomps around violently, almost like he's annoyed someone pushed him in this place, starts yelling at teammates, directing people around. And even the referees fall in line. They suck up to him. When he yells at them about a missed call, they react the same way Obama staff would react if the POTUS was pissed off. I'm sorry, Mr. Paul. You're right. I did miss the call. You're making some great points. I'll try to do better. <laughs> and Chris would just stomp around and have total control of, of the proceedings. And that's what I'm going to remember about him. It wasn't just how good of a pure point guard he was. He really had this command of a room that was unique for a guy who was 6'1". If you watched him, you could, you could talk yourself into hating it, too. I mm. loved it, okay? I loved it. But I don't love transition, defensive rebound, dribble, know that there's a guy who's a big tailgating you and stop and get run over and get the call. Like, I don't know. There never should have been a foul called on that the second time it happened. The fact yep. that the officials would go, hey, 
you know, maybe we should just stop calling that when Paul just stops and lets a guy run up his backside and then falls down and we keep giving him that call. But he kept getting that call. He'd punch guys in the dick around screens. Yeah. He was doing all of those things. But when you're that small, that's how you survive. So even though there are moments, even me who loves Paul would hate little things that would happen. Some of the flopping, some of the arguing where it was a perfect fit for he and Doc Rivers, two guys that like, okay, who can we complain about? Oh, who are we playing? <laughs> like the, right. first, the first thing is which refs can we yell at? Oh, who's the opponent? Even though those things could annoy me with any player in the league, for him, it was all part of this fighter that it's like I'm I always care about the outcome. And there was never a doubt with him. Like I still think this is the irony of him. Winning was the most important thing. He just didn't win enough in the playoffs yeah. for any of us to accept it. So I loved all of it. I mean, I, I loved watching somebody fight and care that much. Well, ironically, Stockton was his predecessor to a lot of that stuff. Just this tough motherfucker who he's going on screens. He's going to punch you, knee you, elbow you. Dribbling straight into you. Yeah. Like, oh, okay. He's going to do all that shit. Yeah. Like, I can't finish against you, but I'm going to dribble right into your waist and I'm going to get the foul. And then I'm going to hit a little bank or step back away from you, too. And you could even see times where Chris knew he got some bullshit where he would kind of like, He'd, he'd be like walking around kind of mad, but he'd have a little break. There'd be like a little break in his face. Where he'd be like, I can't believe they just called that shit. Right. Well, one more Woodsage the best for me. Uh, my anniversary actually was game seven of the 2014 Clippers Warriors game. And I, I made a deal with my wife. I'll take you to an awesome dinner. We'll go to the game. I love game sevens. It's going to be a great game. You're going to have a good time. And that was that young Warriors team. It was Mark Jackson's last game he ever coached. Curry was just starting to turn into Curry in a real way. Draymond was just starting to have an impact in a real way. They, they were, all the seeds were there, but they hadn't really played a big game like that yet. No Bogut too, remember? No Bogut. And Chris, in that game, he manhandles Curry in a way that I remember I either wrote it or, or podcasted about it after. And I was like, the fact that Curry withstood all the stuff that Chris did to him in that game makes me think he's going to be great. He passed some invisible test as a competitor because in the, from the first five minutes, Chris is just hacking him. He's fouling him and he would do this thing. He, he would set a tone in the first five minutes. And once you didn't call it, that was it. He could just do whatever he wanted. Super physical pushing on every screen, holding Curry. And I was watching like, I, it was such a spectacular performance of how to bend the rules your way. Cause he fouled him. 30 times. And I remember I asked Curry about it once. I was like, what was that game like? And I think I we talked about it on a podcast, but may maybe it was off air. Um, just like, do you remember just how physical he was? And he was like, he was like, yeah, that was, you know, my first game seven like that. I just thought the rules were different. Cause, and if you go back and you watch that, if Hardwood Classics ever shows it, Paul is like basically hitting him with a two by four on one end. And then on the other end, dominating. And it's great. And it's, I think his underrated uh, great game. And I honestly think it made Curry better. I think the fact that he, he I think he had 33. He had, he had 33 big points. I mean, granted, yeah. he may have thought the rules were different. He still took 16 free throws. Right. Right. He, he, he took it. And coming out of the game, I was like, he's clearly going to be special. Uh, what's age the worst? Quickly. I predicted this once in 2009. If he stays healthy, he could have a 25-12 season with a steals title on 50, 40, 90 percentages. It's in play. That didn't happen. I'll be interested to see if anyone does that. 
Um, another How one short did he come up on that? I mean, I'm not asking you off the top of your head if you've gone his, through every part his of it. His 09 season was probably the closest. He was like 22 and 11, 50%. He didn't take he enough shots. He really yeah. didn't. Uh, I don't know if there's another version of him that comes along later where he's at a 20 shot a game mark, but his highest number is like 16 shot attempts per game. So even though he's a great shooter and he had all this stuff, when you look at his usage rates, which I want to bring up a nerd corner or nerd research or whatever we're doing. Yeah. Uh, he was just not a high enough volume shooter guy, so he wasn't going to get to those point totals uh, compared to some of these other guys who have been lighting it up the last few years. Well, it's like uh, how Nash on on the first season of Book of Basketball when he was saying he watched that game and he's like, man, I should have shot more threes. I should have been taking like 10. I would made every five of every 10. Uh, another would say the worst. Lob City should have been more fun. It had such a strong start and it was so great and it was just perfect for social media and that that lockout 2012 season which was abbreviated that team was really fun i love going to the games and i do feel like we should remember them more fondly all of a sudden you know blake gets hurt in 13 the sterling disaster happens they and then all of a sudden this team had a malaise to it that if you go think back to that 2012 season it was just fun it was like cool chris paul's on a good team guys can dunk he's got guys to throw alley-oops to the Clipper fans have never had a good team like this. This is great. And then it was just kind of over. Um, one more would say the worst. I know you hate this. I do blame him a little for the flopping epidemic. I don't know if he's um, Dr. Oppenheimer, but I do think he was one of the scientists in the lab trying to perfect how to make everything I blame Duke. worse. I blame Duke and Battier for infecting the league. Okay, so Battier is Oppenheimer. Yeah. Paul is definitely one of the 12 scientists brought in to figure out how to perfect it. Yes. And I'll, I'll, you I'll mentioned the one thing he did before where he would just stop in front of these poor big guys that are laboring down the court. But there was a million other things that he would do. And he, he did more sneaky stuff on the court than anyone I've ever watched in person. Um, and by about 2016 range, every time he missed a layup, or didn't the drive didn't fall. It was just, he assumed he was fouled and acted like a little kid. And I don't like it. I hate that shit, but I also don't think his entire career is propped up by it though. Like no, it just guys. got worse as he got yeah. older. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, next category, too early, too late, just right. What do you think? Too late. I struggled with this. <laughs> last night but it's too late because his style i don't know if anyone's going to play the style anymore he's a point guard first he's setting up other guys i mean deandre jordan's career think about it like people were arguing he might be the best center in the league and you go is he or does he just play with chris paul and deandre mm. eventually you start putting up numbers you start making money you start getting some notoriety and then you want more touches and you want to run the offense through you and you're like no 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 just keep doing the stuff you're doing because chris paul has just made your life easy and has made you a ton of money and so he got lost, I don't, maybe lost is the right word, overshadowed by the Steph types, the Lillard types, Westbrook, when I think we were tricked into thinking he was amazing. Certainly Harden's production is off the charts. It's not just the scoring, but that Harden's this great assist guy too because of the usage stuff. But his approach is old school, and it was an old school approach that stood out because he was so good at it. But once this offensive explosion happened by just usage and three-point attempts, his production is overshadowed. So he's actually, his game is too late for today's era. So I'm going to argue two things. 
I think he comes along just right if you're just talking about him as a player for what he would have wanted from a career because he shows up in the 05 draft right after they had changed the rules and they changed the hand check rules. It becomes easier for guards. The center position is starting to morph into something different. There's more space. All that stuff's great for him. I personally feel like he would have been awesome in the 80s, 90s range. And I would have loved to have seen him, you know, battling Isaiah and playing in the 90s and playing in some of those crazy, you know, 89 to 84 games where the point guards really did control all of it. I think he could have fit in in any era, honestly. But I do feel like he missed his calling by one generation where if he had come, if he had come to prime with Stockton and Gary Payton and Jason Kidd and Cassell and just that whole era, if he had just been in there with those guys, I just think it would have been more fun. I think he would add rivalries. I think there would have been bad blood left and right. And the way basketball was played was just a little more conducive to if you have an awesome point guard, that's a huge advantage. As far now as being nasty, like, yeah. I mean, he yeah. fits in perfectly with some of those guys and he could defend anybody. I mean, we're yeah. talking about a legendary all-defensive resume for him. And I still trust him at least to do the right thing and be strong. I mean, he's so strong. And even though a lot of that shit can drive you crazy, he's incredibly physical. So he would have fit in that time perfectly as somebody that he doesn't want to go out and take 20-plus shots. He doesn't want to score 30. And he actually fits that era better than today's point guard. Yeah, and as you said, when he dialed it up defensively, he, he, you were get like Curry getting 33 in that game seven was amazing because his ball was going full speed defensively every play. And when he did that, he was about as good as it got at that position. Um, nerd corner. So for his career, 3.9 assist turnover ratio right now. To put that in perspective, Stockton 3.7, Kid 3.0, Peyton 2.96, Magic 2.9, Nash 2.8, Isaiah 2.6. No great point guard has ever taken care of the ball and distributed it better just by pure numbers. Then the second one I have is just, um, he's one of three players along with Nash and Stockton to shoot 45%, 35%, 80% as his splits while averaging at least eight assists per game for his entire career. I'm sure maybe more guys will be, I'm Trey Young will probably end up doing that, but for now, that's it. What'd you have for Nerd Corner? You could probably sit this one out for a little bit if you want to, but um, okay. I remember when Zach Lowe first did his Death the Rings piece, and we were looking at where Paul stacked up efficiency-wise against the other players, and he was like fifth or sixth in player efficiency in playoff history. He slipped a tenth as he's gotten a little bit older, but he's up there with the great names in the history of this game. He's also ninth in regular season PER, okay? Mm. So there's ninth. So the, you're like, wait a minute, where is he in the regular season? He's actually about the same which speaks to we're kind of getting the same version of him without the end results that we all wish for. As far as points per game, I mean, he's way down the list, but yet the fact that his efficiency is that high speaks to how he does control the game and how great he is on that assist turnover number that you were talking about. True shooting percentage numbers off the charts. Steal percentage, top six overall. His usage rate numbers are so far below what other stars are at that it also speaks to him fitting back in those areas because we, you and I have brought this up in the past where we look at some of those usage rates now with Westbrook, with Harden, with a guy like Trey Young putting up these numbers. And then you'll go back and look at Magic and Bird and go, wait, why Why were they in the 20s? And some players yeah, they're are like over 23. 40. Like yeah. what happened there? When I compared his usage rate, because I think there's a big picture Russ conversation about Chris Paul and Russell Westbrook which I also think is the beauty of the Chris Paul story that Oklahoma City Thunder fans that argued for Russ all those years then get to experience a season with Chris Paul going, 
oh, wait, is this what it's actually supposed to feel like? Um, and kind of kind of trust the end of these possessions a little bit more. Chris Paul's highest usage rate season would rank 11th in Russell Westbrook's career for his usage mm. seasons. And the most important one that really hammers home how special Paul really is. If you buy into the plus minus, I know some people don't game to game. It can be totally misleading, just flat out stupid. Over the course of a season, when you look at different lineups, you can start to really see some truth there. Steph Curry's always the greatest example of this, where you go, well, his plus minus is amazing because of look at the other teammates he has out there. All right, well, let's take away Clay. Let's take away Draymond. Well, he has Durant. There are numbers that Golden State was actually better with a guy like Curry than Durant just being out there with other pieces. It's crazy. Yeah. Here are the top three all-time leaders in box score plus minus. Michael Jordan at 9.22, LeBron James at 8.9, Chris Paul, number three all time at 7.58. So you can shit on these numbers, fine. But when enough of them keep coming up, that it's Jordan, that it's LeBron, that it's, you know, um, George Mikan, when it's it's these all-timers, Hakeem, all these playoff numbers and all these different things, Paul grades out way better than he ever gets credit for. I mean, that's why he got the point guard nickname. And I do think the advanced metrics community, he comes into the league right after that stuff had really started to take off in 03, 04, 05 range. And, uh, and he was just catnip for it. I mean, he had, he had a 30 PER in the 2009 season. The people who get 30 PER normally are LeBron or Giannis or centers, centers who could rebound for a guard to do that. So, I mean, the advanced metrics, all that stuff, so incredibly favorable to him that that's the thing. That will be what lasts for him 75 years from now. PER is a big guy stat. Closer shots, free throws, rebounds. And Paul is up there with all of these centers. And that box score plus minus thing, to see where Jordan and LeBron are, where they're like a point and a half ahead of number three all time, yeah. also speaks to kind of how absurd. Like when you keep getting back to some of these numbers, you can say, oh, these are complicated. Are you using this match? Be like, wait a minute. This one just kind of says, was this guy the best guy ever that was on the floor when he was out there? That seems yeah. like a pretty good number. And Paul ranks behind Jordan and LeBron. I'm not saying he's yeah. the third best player of all time, but that's, a, that's an insane, insane number to be number three all time in. I don't trust those plus minus stats either, but when the result is LeBron and Jordan are way better than everybody else, it's like, all right, that's, uh, you have my attention. <laughs> they might, might be onto something. Yeah. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes has arrived in IMAX. What a wonderful day! This summer, one movie event will reign. It is our time. My village. I know where they're taking your clan. Bend for your king. Never. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com. A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. 
tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Unintentional comedy wrinkle. Um, I, I couldn't really come up with a good one other than the the watching that Clipper dysfunctional Clippers team near the end when just everyone's just yelling at calls all game. The Chris Paul Cliff Paul thing lent to some comedy when he would have a bad game. You'd be like, oh, Cliff Paul must have shown up. More because when people were making was that, that joke. Was, no, that was the thing. It was so bad. It's like, really? You're, really? That's your comedy joke? The Cliff Paul joke? Uh, the one thing I had, so I wrote wrote about this in, um, in 2011 when it seemed like they might contract the Hornets in New Orleans heading into that lockout. It seemed like a possibility. And Stern was on my podcast and admitted they had discussed it as a bargaining tactic. Like, hey, if you don't, if we don't do a lockout, we might have to contract the team. Like this team's failing. We can't even find an owner for them. So I was talking about the Chris Paul dispersal draft. If they disbanded the team because he was still on there, how would they have done it? Who would get it? Would there be a dispersal draft machine? Um, would they have a lottery for it? I, I imagine the conspiracy theories from the uh, dispersal draft machine where like the Knicks get Chris Paul and all this stuff. We never found out, but it's a, it's a fun what if. However it turned out, people would have thought it was fixed. I don't think there's any way they could have done it. The Lakers thing to see him play with Kobe because all the years, and it's pretty timely right now because what I had mentioned earlier this month on my podcast about Chris Paul's destinations was that he didn't want to go to the Lakers and there were a few reasons, but one of the reasons was, you know, he doesn't really fit with LeBron for all yeah. these years that oh, LeBron wants to play with him. They get along and that's cool. But if you have Chris Paul and LeBron on the floor at the same time, you know, Paul's playing off of him and he did that with Harden and he didn't like it with Harden. I think the other thing that Chris didn't like with Harden was that when Paul had the ball, Harden would just not do anything. And I know Houston people try to always argue that that was him stretching the defense. And it was like, oh, well, eventually, off. eventually people realized, oh, he's completely disengaged from this possession. So now I don't have to worry about him. I mean, the spacing argument was so stupid. But if he had been with prime Kobe, like, what was that going to be like? Well, especially Kobe at that stage of his career where he wasn't quite the super duper star anymore, but still carried himself like one. I think that's where it gets a little dangerous. I mean, Harden off the ball, you might as well have the weekend at Bernie guys with the with the white cap and the sunglasses uh, holding holding Harden up as he just pretends to be alive. He doesn't move. Doesn't he kind of look like him a little bit? Have you yeah, ever done bit. that segment? A tiny bit. Uh, next category, defining good playoff moment. So... Mentioned both of them, Game 7, 2015 Spurs or Game 7, 2014 Warriors. There's this alternate universe where they beat the Spurs in 2008 and he did everything he could in that series where they're going against that 2008 Lakers team and uh, if if that had happened. And I don't know, that would have been, that would have been a fun matchup. I think Kobe would have would have gone off in that series, but I think they would have had a lot of trouble defending him the way Chris was playing. So, um, I would rank it game seven, 2015 Spurs, number one, game seven, 2014 Warriors, number two. And then honestly, game five of Rockets Warriors, 2018, they were about to win that game and he hit a big shot and was playing really well that series. And uh, that could have been one too. This next category you're going to love. Market corrector or market corrected. This is where we get to shit on Darren Williams for a couple minutes. <laughs> So those guys come in the league at the same time. Utah yeah. trades up to number three and they take Darren Williams over Chris Paul. And then it goes on for five, six years. Everybody gets in their camps. 
And I remember I was, I was early. I'm Chris Paul. I'm accepting no other arguments. The Utah fans, as you know, cause you hosted a radio show, Utah fans, not friendly sometimes if they feel like you're not on their side. And they took this Darren Williams thing incredibly personally. And a lot of email, a lot of angry emails when Twitter started and they're doing that stuff, super pissy. And, uh, and within five years, we're not talking about this anymore and it's over. And it really got settled in 2012 Olympics because I, I think that was one of the fun subplots of that one. Like, wow, who's going to be like the crunch time point guard is going to be Chris. It's gonna be Darren Williams. And Chris was the guy and Darren Williams was a bench guy. And it, fully got settled during the, uh, unhappy Brooklyn years and, and, uh, all that stuff. But anyway, he market corrected Darren Williams in about as aggressive of a market correction as we've had on this podcast. Yeah. It reminds me a little of the Matt Ryan, Joe Flacco stuff where I couldn't understand it. You know, Flacco's early career success in the playoffs, he didn't do anything. And Matt Ryan was carrying his team and a defense was carrying Flacco. Then Flacco turned into Pat Mahomes' cooler older brother for four playoff games. And it's like, see, like everybody was kind of like, yeah, I guess Ryan's better than Flacco. And then it was like, no, Flacco's better than him. I go, I guess that's what I'm supposed to say after he just won a Super Bowl, but I don't think it. Like Matt Ryan's definitely better than him. And for whatever criticism you have of Matt Ryan, there's no, there's no one in the, like who other than Flacco's relatives and some Ravens fans on message boards would argue that Flacco will have the better career than Ryan. Um, this one is even more of a separation. Because even in the moment, I, like you, I was like, all right, look, Darren Williams is really good, and he's had some moments. But whether you want to argue stats, you want to argue peak years, I mean, the longevity thing isn't even fair to include it in this one. But I never thought Darren Williams was better than him, and it actually became pretty laughable after after about five years. Yeah. Well, that leads us to the next category, biggest what-if sliding doors moment. That, in this case, was not the 2012 almost Lakers trade. So 2005 draft. This was crazy at the time. I have a draft diary from the time where I'm losing my mind as it's happening. Milwaukee takes Bogut over him. I thought Chris Paul was the best player I saw in college. It wasn't close. I had no doubt in my mind that he was going to be an awesome pro. And I couldn't believe he might slip out of the top three. It was a little similar to the doctor's thing, to be honest, where it's like, what is happening? What? Are you, how are you guys not seeing this? He it's actually so more unbelievable than Doncic because there's still an element of Doncic as this unknown thing where we're watching Chris Paul completely take over these ACC games. Right. And we're watching those ACC games and we're like, just wait till his teammates are better. He's not playing with anybody good. He's carrying these dudes. He's on a whole other level just trying to almost play down so these guys can hang with him. Anyway, Milwaukee takes Bogut. Terrible. Atlanta needs terrible? a point guard. Wait a minute. That's not terrible. I hated it. I thought Chris was the best guy in the draft. Yeah, okay, uh, but, but I, it's not like Bogut would... Bogut pre-injury and pre-Golden State was a really good player. He wasn't Marvin I, Williams. Marvin I Williams for, was like, wait, is this guy going to be a six guy in his second season? <laughs> <laughs> I vote. I still vote for terrible. Atlanta's okay. at number two. Joe Johnson and Josh Smith are already in the team. They take Marvin Williams. The red flag being he couldn't start at UNC. They needed a point guard. They're like, cool. Chris Paul's playing in the ACC close by. No. They don't take them. Then Portland is sitting at three. Martel Webster, baby. And they're like, yeah, we don't need Chris Paul either. We're good too. We're going to trade to six. Take Martel Webster there and we'll pick up number 27 and a 2006 number one. So they trade out of the Chris Paul spot for Martel Webster, Linus Kleza, and Joel Freeland. That's what the Blazers got. 
Freeland then, had some good years. <laughs> you like Freeland. And then Utah moves in this. Utah moves up. It's like, oh, cool. Utah's going to take him. No, they take Darren Williams. And he falls to four. And the frustrating thing here is if Utah had taken Chris Paul, it actually would have been great for him because that team was was had good pieces already. They had Boozer and Memento Core, who I always really liked. They had Andre Karolenko, who was a Swiss Army knife forward. The advanced stats on him are amazing in the mid-2000s. They made the 07 Conference Finals. Uh, they won two playoff series in 08. And um, I kind of would have liked to have seen him on that team. Instead, he goes to this weird New Orleans team where David West is his best teammate and he's got Byron Scott as his coach. And it just sucks. I wish, I out of all those, if you'd say Milwaukee, Atlanta, Portland, or Utah, which team would you want it to go to out of those four? I, okay. I would personally say Atlanta. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Atlanta was a poorly run team there. So it wasn't like that. You didn't was like Billy Knight's? You didn't like Billy Knight's work? That was the first moment where I go, <laughs> okay, I know I'm guy. I'm just a guy with with a dial up here. Yeah, but what the fuck does he see in Sheldon Williams? Like, Sheldon Williams and Marvin I, Williams back to back. Marvin, you could at least understand because he was younger, and then you didn't project what Mar Marvin's body type ended up going in a, the Drew Gooden route. Where I was like, wait, I thought I was getting this huge slashing quick yeah. guy, and you're like, nope, I'm getting Cecil Fielder, and <laughs> you're like, what? <laughs> like we're gonna need you, we're gonna need you to not dribble as much, I guess, but. Atlanta was a mess. All the options. Utah was the most stable, but I'm going to push back on your Utah is a better fit for him. Do you think he makes it to a sixth season with Utah? Or does Chris Paul go, all right, enough of this. We know his personality. Would he have been cool in Salt Lake? If Darren Williams wasn't cool with it, was Chris Paul going to be cool with it? Was Chris Paul going to be cool with Jerry Sloan? I mean, he was cool in OKC. The Sloan thing is, is that's the wrinkle that I'm not sure of. But just in general, it was a better team. Or maybe he I loves them. Maybe maybe they click. Maybe he's like, I love you. We're we're kindred spirits here because we're yeah. Just he tough has the whole Stockton thing. Maybe Portland would have been weird because that team was in flux. It was right after the whole Jailblazers era. I don't know if that would have been a better situation than New Orleans. I think the most fun would have been Atlanta because he he just would have been the best talk of all time. You know, even better than Dominique and would have given them some real stability with a team that was already had some pieces. So. I vote for that. Uh, next cat, last two categories, overrated, underrated, properly rated. I actually think he's properly rated. I think he gets dinged for the right things. I think people are aware of the advanced metrics stuff. And I think the case of him being one of the best point guards ever is pretty fair. I have him, you know, ranked in the five to seven range, but um, I think he's properly rated. Underrated. I hear more negative about him from basketball people than I'd ever expect. I don't even say anything about it. I just let the guy vent. And then fans are are very, very difficult when you don't win. Is there a player in this era who people don't bitch about and expect too much from? I guess would be my counter. Don't we pick apart all these guys? I mean, you and I both think Curry is like wildly underrated. And yeah. Curry's and Curry's awesome, <laughs> you know. Yeah. But I think I mean, Curry, that, I think Curry's diss amongst his peers, the diss amongst his peers, is like so fucked up for a bunch of different reasons, um, which I don't feel like spending a ton of time on. But I, I don't think anyone, you know, I don't think I could be on a panel show in ten years saying Chris Paul's the second greatest point guard of all time. I get laughed off the set. My final pyramid ranking. 
42. Interestingly enough, now we're taping this. He has not been traded yet. And we both think there's a chance he's going to stay in OKC just because there might not be a better option. It doesn't seem like there's any way to get him to any of the top contenders. And there's a chance he stays in OKC and maybe they reevaluate January, February, whatever. I assume he'll have one last run. My guess would be if he's going to win a title, it's going to be along the lines of what happened with Jason Kidd, where he's at a different point of his career, but the brain and the know-how and the experience becomes uh, just a huge asset for whatever situation the team has. Kid was not remotely the same guy in, in 2011 in Dallas, but was close, re- yeah. but was really important for them. You yeah. know, he was. He learned how to shoot floor. all of a sudden. Yeah, he was a decent three point shooter. Was in the right spots. They could switch with him on D, and he took whatever was left in his refrigerator as a player, and was still able to make a meal with it. I do think Chris is going to have a moment like that. It'll. It could even be you know, the last year of his contract or if he's playing for the minimum at age 39. But I think we'll hear from him one time on the big stage. I don't know who it'll be with, um, but I think it happens. Like, who knows? Two, three years from now, Giannis and Luca are together in Dallas and it could be Jason Kidd all over again. Chris goes there for one year, two million as like, you know, the older big brother. I can handle the ball. I've been in big games before, guy. Um, What do you think on this whole thing? Definitely in the cards. You know, I always thought that was going to be Steve Nash's last act where I think, he would I think play. that's what he wanted. Yeah. yeah, he was going to play off the ball a little bit too because you can do that with Chris Paul because he's that good of a shooter and Nash could have done that. But if the back isn't going to work and listen to Nash talk about just how bad it was and how much maintenance he had to go through to just try to see if he could give it a shot, that hasn't happened with Paul despite the injuries, like if he doesn't, if he can avoid that back thing that happens to some guys that are smaller, that are taking a beating, there's no reason why he couldn't come in, play off the ball. There's no reason why you wouldn't want him closing lineups the way kid was without having him run the offense. But I don't, even though as pro Paul as I am, those rings don't count the same way. They don't like, you can't sit there and say with Jason Kidd, you know, he finally figured it out. He got his ring. I know that's not what you're doing, but if Chris Paul wins a ring at 38 under those circumstances, playing less than 30 minutes a night where he's not even one of the three main guys, you can't say, well, you know what? All you guys were wrong about his shortcomings in the playoffs because he finally got his. Like he, he was supposed to get one already. He was, and I can't believe he didn't. And it bums me out because I know what the rules are. And I sometimes I hate the rules because if he did have one, if he had it where they didn't blow it to Houston or they won that OKC series or, you know, maybe even in 2018 where they close out Golden State, maybe we're allowed to just talk about him entirely differently. But until then, we can't. And the time is running out. Yeah, it's interesting. I, you're right. You don't win the title as a top two guy. Now you're in that Carl Malone on the 04 Lakers stage, and it's not going to count the same. At the same time, I think as a competitor, you're somebody like him. You're just like, I just want to know what it's like to be on the best team. And maybe I won't be one of the two best players in that team, but I can still play a role. Like I guarantee Jason Kidd, even though it wasn't like the net situation, he was still a big, important part of that Dallas team. He wasn't the guy, but I promise like he, he probably is like, I'm, this is everything I felt like it was going to be, you know? So it's almost like there are these two levels of having it happen. It could still happen for him. He can still feel what it's like. I think the worst case scenario is when you get to that, like Gary Payton, 2006 Miami stage, where it's like, you're a shell of yourself. You're on the team. You're not really any sort of reason they're winning the title and you get to kind of enjoy it, but it's, 
you know, you're 20 hey, percent of what you were. It's better than it never happening. So if I'm I the guess. player, I'm listening to this part of it going, what's wrong with you guys? Like, am I just supposed to go sign with bad teams and lose? But to Paul's credit, not only the basketball fit with LeBron and not having the ball, but he looks at it as they just won. And now I'm supposed to go there. And I think that's one of the reasons he's not going to end up on the Lakers. There's a line that can be crossed, though, because like Jeff Perlman had in his book when we talked to him on your podcast about that Mitch Richmond year when, you know, he shows up there and they don't really play. They can't figure out he's pretty much washed up at that point and gets the ring. But it's like, all right, cool. But he wasn't a part of it. You know, it's like, were you on a championship team? Technically, yeah. I didn't really do anything. So they, see, I love I love Mitch for that. I don't think that's what we're talking about here with Paul. But no, I respect the hell the, out of that's Mitch. That's the last stage. That's yeah. the third stage. Yeah, where the you're like, are you an are... assistant? Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, it's the top two player stage. It's the I can still help stage, and then it's the I'm it's just, just kinda... called the Mitch Richmond stage or the we Robert did... Parrish on the Bulls stage. Remember that Robert <laughs> Parrish got a ring on the Bulls. I mean, he's like a hundred years old. But see, I respect the hell out of the Mitch Richmond story in that book where he was like, yeah. You know, I don't wear it out or anything where like I can tell everything about you as a guy. If you're like Mitch, which I thought was cool, or you would be like another guy's be like, hey, here's my ring. Can I cut the line? You'd be like, are you in the G League? What? It was like J.R. Smith recently. J.R. Um, Smith was the first guy to grab the trophy in the bubble. Yeah. Well, I remember um, when I was doing the finals that one of those San Antonio Miami years and T-Mac was on the Spurs. Remember that? It was like tail, 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 tail in oh, T-Mac. Yeah. And I would always go on the court like an hour and a half before when the guys would shoot and T-Mac would be taking threes and I would just be looking at him like, man, it, how 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 is he happy at this stage of his career? Like you're like the 14th guy just shooting threes at the end. So I hope Chris Paul never gets to that point. You never want to get hit a point as a great athlete where people are actually feeling bad. Like, oh man, I wish he'd hang it up. I think that's when it gets, obviously it's everybody's (laughs) choice, but it's still a bummer. So what you're saying is you don't want Holy Cross intramural guy to feel bad for pro athlete. You don't want to be at that stage. Right. (laughs) You're watching T-Mac going, because I do think we both have to, like, even though I get your point and you're right, if I were a basketball player and especially like T-Mac, like, I mean, LeBron says it all the time. Like, hey, once I get dunked on by some guys that I think suck, once I'm washed, like I'm not going to allow it to get to that point. I don't know if that's true. It's a really easy thing to say when you're younger. And then when you're that age, you go, I still love coming out here. I love being in the arena. I that's love, fair. I fucking love basketball. And as soon as I'm done, I never get to do this again. So if I'm T-Mac and I want some Spurs gear and I want to maybe come in and try to take some threes, I'm never, ever going to criticize any of those guys for wanting to do it. because I wasn't criticizing them. I, yeah. I just felt bad because. Yeah, it could be know, both. Like, like six years earlier, I had watched him at like the peak of his powers, taking the Rockets to a 22 game winning streak. And now he's just like getting up some threes. It's the only time he's even going to shoot during these pivotal finals games. It's like, oh man, T-Mac. I love that guy. So that, uh, I get, that was, yeah, no, I get your point, but I, I'll never be like, what are you doing? I would no. always go. I, I got to imagine how it's going to suck to not be not be out there anymore when you really love it. I mean, there's plenty of big guys that can't stand it, can't wait to retire, but I think Chris Paul is a guy that loves basketball, loves it. Well, he certainly loves getting paid. We didn't, we didn't even mention the, all the money that he's made over the course of his career. He's, and he took a pay cut. Remember to leave the Clippers. He left money on the table for that deal. Well, he made it all back and he's made about as much as anyone from his era. Chris Paul, 
It was awesome to watch him. I hope he gets there someday. Um, it was good to have one of his biggest fans on the podcast to both defend him and then nod sadly during some of the moments. But uh, Brian Rosillo, <laughs> we can we can listen to your podcast, Brian Rosillo podcast. We'll, we're coming back at some point on mine once the NBA season is in full swing. We'll do some of those as well. It's nice to have you on. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, Bill. Thanks for listening to the Book of Basketball 2.0 podcast. Remember, you can find all of the podcasts from season one, season two, and the two other ones we did for season three on Spotify or wherever you get your podcast. Coming back next week with another episode. See you then.